Do you love God but struggle to fit in? Do you have questions that never seem to get answered? Do you just want to have honest conversations about things that matter? Well, let's slow down and take the time to do just that. Welcome to Jesus Never Ran. For the second week in a row, we have the great honor of having author, speaker, advocate, Brian McLaren on the podcast. This week, he's talking about heaven and hell. I'm worried if you can be an Orthodox Christian and a racist, and you don't see a contradiction between those two. That to me is a meaningless definition of Christianity. I don't care if I'm a Christian, if that's all it means. Of course, before we get going, we need to mention our sponsors. First, we have Rise Nutrition. If you've been sitting around a little extra over these past couple of months and you need some help with your nutrition, check out Rise Nutrition. You can find them on Facebook at Rise Menominee. That's Rise with a Z and Angie and the crew there will be happy to help you with all of your nutrition needs. And then earlier this week, I was over at Infinity Beverages, one of my favorite places to hang out with friends, www.infinitybeverages.com. If you're in the Eau Claire area, be sure to check out their tasting room. If not, just order online. I'm so excited to get this topic going on the Jesus Never Ran podcast. The conversation about heaven and hell and how we view it has probably, maybe other than the conversation on homosexuality, is probably the space I found myself in more times than anything else. As far as having a conversation, having people look at me like I'm crazy, but then trying to carry a decent dialogue about it. It's rooted back for me, I have this real specific memory, and it was when I was growing up Catholic and I went to Catholic school, and part of going to Catholic school is you'd have a religion class on a regular basis taught by the priest. For me, it was this little priest. His name was Father Pat. He was from Ireland. He couldn't have stood more than five feet tall. And I can remember being in his class, which was in the sanctuary of the church. So I can picture myself sitting in a pew there with all of my classmates. And when I say all, I mean all like six of them. (laughs) But I can remember him talking about the concept of heaven and hell. And my child mind boiled it down to what most people I think do, which is if I do enough good things, I can go to heaven. If I do too many bad things, I'm going to go to hell. And if I fall somewhere in the middle, if you're a Catholic, you get to go to this place called purgatory and hopefully enough people pray for you so you can eventually get into heaven and I remember just sitting there thinking have I done enough good things have I done too many bad things and I like most people was probably pretty confident that purgatory was a spot for me because it was you know kind of middle ground and that's where I felt like I was but then in probably a I don't know I guess thinking back on it in a pretty sad moment I can also remember in those same years crying myself to sleep at night being scared not only about myself and where I was going after I died but also thinking about my family and my brother specifically hated going to church so I couldn't help but think that guy was going to hell and so I literally I'm not just making up something here I would cry myself to sleep thinking about the concept of heaven and hell now fast forward to later on in life I get introduced to Brian McLaren through some friends. And then I just happened to pick up his book. And this is the first book by Brian McLaren that I read, which is The Last Word and The Word After That. And it introduces this idea of, is it possible 
that there's actually no such thing as hell, at least the way that we think about it. And I remember reading that book feeling like, please, please let this be possible. Please let it be a possibility that hell, the way that we talk about it in Christianity, is not real. So when I get Brian McLaren on a Zoom call, you better believe we're talking about heaven and hell. Well, this is a huge subject. We start untangling this knot and the whole system unravels, which is why I think people are upset, but it's why it's so important. So maybe I could respond by just telling you a quick story. I, um, so I was a pastor. I grew up, you know, evangelical, fundamentalist, charismatic. I had, you know, all my tickets punched or whatever. And I knew the Bible, I thought. But then when I became a pastor, I actually had to start like, I, I don't know where this started happening, but instead of just picking a verse here and here and here and weaving them together and making a cute sermon with three different scriptures and three points, I would start preaching through the book of Romans or through the book of Isaiah or through the book of Exodus. And when I started paying attention to all the verses that were in between the ones I'd memorized, I realized something else is going on here than what I was told. We were experts at pointing out how what we called cults twisted the scriptures, but I started feeling like I actually was twisting the scriptures myself, teaching what I'd been taught. And I remember I'd been a pastor for 10, at least 10 years. And I remember when it suddenly dawned on me, like, this is so obvious, Matt, but I hadn't seen it. It became so obvious to me, the people in the Old Testament, the Hebrew people in the Old Testament, they did not believe in heaven or hell. Like, that is so obvious, but it wasn't obvious to me. So I assumed when, you know, Moses told the people to uh, start offering sacrifices, it was so they wouldn't go to hell. No, that was not in their mind at all. And when they built the temple, it was to help people do the right thing so they wouldn't go to hell. It wasn't in the Jewish mind anywhere. And in fact, when you do a little more research on it, even though many of us were taught to quote three or four verses to prove that they believed in the afterlife, no, that's not what those verses meant at all. And in fact, the word that gets translated hell in the old King James Bible is the word sheol, which just means the place of the dead. And then you realize, oh, the Jewish people held the same view of the afterlife as the Babylonians around them, that there was this strange sort of eternal holding tank for the souls of the dead, good, bad alike. They were all in the same place. In fact, there are verses in the Bible that say that very thing. And so you just start to realize, oh, there is a story. And the reason the Jews did what they did was not because of the afterlife. What was it then? So that really was the beginning of things unraveling for me. And when I realized that when the Jews used the word salvation, it wasn't salvation from hell. It was salvation from slavery. That that's what the word salvation meant. That the word salvation actually meant liberation from slavery. And then that gets extended to mean liberation from illness and liberation from danger, liberation from anything that reduces our vitality and our aliveness and our joy and our shalom. Man, suddenly I had to read the whole Bible in a new way. So that doesn't answer all the questions about heaven and hell that we can talk about. But what it did for me is it made me realize that this idea of heaven and hell doesn't even enter the biblical story until we get to the book of Matthew. And then we have to say, well, where does this come from and what's going on there? 
One of the most embarrassing moments I think I ever had while working on ministry staff at a church was when I was on staff at a church and they brought in this drama group and it was called Heaven's Gates, Hell's Flames. And because I was on staff, I was expected to go to this wonderful drama. And I remember just because of the title (laughs) that I was confident I was just going to stand in the back. And that's what I did. My wife and I, we stood in the back of the sanctuary and we watched this horrific play about some people going to heaven and other people literally being dragged, screaming and kicking into hell, thus heaven's gates, hell's flames. And of course, after the play is over, what they do is they invite people to accept Jesus into their hearts. And a lot of hands go up at the altar call because everybody's scared out of their mind and nobody wants to be dragged kicking and screaming into hell. Man, I've never been so embarrassed in my life to be a part of something than to be a part of that church when they were inviting people to that drama because everything about it made me feel sick to my stomach. I wasn't quite sure what the other option was at that moment, but I knew that that did not fit well or sit well with me. And to boil it down to the crux of my issue, despite the horrific nature of what I was experiencing visually, it's this. I know that scaring somebody into something is never honest and it's never true. And if the point is to scare people to fall in love with Jesus, to me that starts to look a lot like an abusive relationship. In my mind, the reference of love that I had with my wife and with my family is that I get to choose love and by choosing it, I can fall in love deeper and deeper. And so I had no interest in trying to scare people into the kingdom. Instead, I wanted to help people fall in love with Jesus. And let me be honest, those are two completely different things. So uh, I jokingly say that uh, I still have my little inner fundamentalist. He sort of perches on one of my shoulders and whispers in my ear. And so when you just said, what if we started living as if there were, were no hell? What everyone who has an inner fundamentalist, what they heard whispering in their ear was this. Oh, you just want to say there's no hell. So you can do anything you want and you anything goes if there's no hell. You can be as bad as you want to be because there's no hell. Well, here's the irony. Most of us who start questioning the traditional notion of hell, it's not because we want to be worse people. It's because we want to be better people. And the idea that the best being in the universe can't come up with a better solution to the problems of the universe than to torture people forever, eternally, you just start thinking, if that's as good as God is, this is a pretty depressing universe we ended up in here. And I guess maybe that's what we have to settle for. But I could sure think of 10 different ways to solve the problems of the world better than torturing some people forever. And so what I think we have to say is, what are the consequences of the traditional view of hell that emerged in the Christian religion? I don't think it's what Jesus believed. I don't think it's what Paul believed. I do think it's what Christians started believing around the time of Augustine to the present on this idea of a God who anything that isn't perfect 
God has to torture eternally. Otherwise, God can't be good. I mean, that, that's sort of the rules of the game. And here's the problem. If you believe that, then your view of God is a view that you will emulate. And that view says some people are worthy of eternal delight and other people are worthy of eternal conscious torment. If you believe that's the way the universe is, that can unleash exactly the kind of history that the Christian religion has. History of war, colonization, enslavement, racism, and all the rest. Because it divides the world into the worthy and the unworthy, us and them. What I want to say to people is, you think that we're questioning this because we want to be worse. It's not because of that. It's because we don't think what we inherited is nearly good enough. What a powerful statement. What we've inherited is not nearly good enough. I mean, this is just the way I've always been taught. This idea of heaven and hell, that there's this dualistic approach to our faith. Either you go to heaven or you go to hell. The good people go to heaven, the bad people go to hell. This is the thing that was passed down to me, and I'm guessing it's the thing that was passed down to you. Now, as you start to listen to this and you start maybe having these same questions that I had, you're probably going to one very logical place. That place is this. If heaven and hell, like that's not a thing. If hell is not even a thing to be considered, if I'm not going to go to hell because I don't connect with God or I don't believe in God or I don't do enough good things, if that's not a possibility, then what role does Jesus have in our faith? Because as I know it up to this point, before I start thinking like this, my understanding of Jesus is because hell is real, Jesus had to come so he could take my sins so that I could avoid hell. If that's not on the table, what do we do with Jesus? Well, I mean, first of all, the standard thing that we were told doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Like, if all God needed to do was torture Jesus, you know, why not let him be conceived and born and then torture a baby, right? But like, what's this whole 30 years? And the fact is, if you read through the Gospels, never once did Jesus say, I came to die and for no other reason. In fact, if you read through the Gospels, he says things like this, for this reason I came to teach you know he went everywhere preaching the good news of the kingdom of god he came to preach the good news of the kingdom of god and by the way the kingdom of god is not going to heaven after you die it's god's will being done on earth now as it is in heaven so here's a way i would say it the reason jesus came is to show us what god is really like and the irony is the god that jesus shows us the god that jesus embodies Jesus doesn't kill anybody. Jesus doesn't torture anybody. Jesus doesn't say, you're a prostitute, I want nothing to do with you, or you're a Pharisee, I want nothing to do with you. Jesus demonstrates radical, unconditional love with no exceptions. So let's start there. Jesus comes to be the Word of God. Jesus comes to image the character of God. That would take us to a very, very different place, I think, than we've been taken in the theological framework that we inherited that was a zero-sum game. The purpose of the universe is to generate a bunch of souls 
some of whom can be tortured, the vast majority of whom can be tortured forever, with infinite excruciating torture, hopeless torture, or people who experience bliss. And that's either for matters of chance, matters of merit, or matters of God's choice. And then if you say, why would God choose some and not others, then God becomes capricious. And the whole thing just becomes morally pretty disturbing. Now, it's not easy for a lot of people to say that or admit it, because that's the only option they're given. And they're afraid that they're being sacrilegious and irreverent and ungrateful if they do that. So I understand why what I just said uh, sounds almost harsh to say it that that coarsely. But and, and maybe if I could say uh, one other thing about that, Matt, what I said about the book of Exodus before, you know, for the Jewish people, salvation is defined in the book of Exodus as God hearing the cries of the slaves and God being willing to upset the pyramid of Egypt to let the people at the bottom of the pyramid experience liberation, salvation from oppression. Well, what if that was Jesus' message to say, I'm here to help you find the way of salvation, find the path to liberation from oppression. If somebody wants to say, oh, no big deal with that, they have no idea what they're talking about, right? That's a big deal. That is a really big deal. This starts to get really difficult as you continue to deconstruct things because you feel like one by one you're losing the things that you put so much of your belief system securely in. You start losing this concept of heaven and hell that you always had. You start losing this understanding of Jesus that you've always had. You start losing this understanding of the Bible that you've always had, or you probably will as we start talking about the Bible in a week or two here. And then you start losing the whole concept of God that you've always had. And then you stand back and you start to ask yourself, who am I? What do I believe? And what in the hell does it mean to be a Christian? Do you see what I did there with the hell thing? That was totally on purpose. It just depends who you ask. You know, if you ask Jerry Falwell, you can't be a Christian unless you believe it as he says. And if you ask some primate in the Russian Orthodox Church, it's going to be a different set of qualifications. And and at the end of the day, I think all of us have to be willing to say, who am I? What am I? What do I believe? Not ask whose permission do I need to seek? Whose approval do I need? Do I need Franklin Graham's approval? Do I need whoever. Who am I? What do I really want to be? And that that to me is ultimately what we're talking about here. I think that if you want to be a follower of Jesus, if you want to follow Jesus, you think he's right enough to want to follow him, to take him seriously, maybe even to take him more seriously than you'll take any other individual. I'm willing to say you're a Christian at that point. In the most meaningful sense of the word, you want to be a follower of Jesus. You want to become a Christ-like person. You want to live the way that Jesus taught because you think he was right. Now, all kinds of other things other people are going to tell you have to believe, but to me, that's a pretty good start. And frankly, any other definition that doesn't include that, I'm worried about. I'm worried if you can be an Orthodox Christian and a racist and you don't see a contradiction between those two. That to me is a meaningless definition of Christianity. 
I don't care if I'm a Christian, if that's all it means. I think that's a good place to call it quits for this episode. Hey, if you have never considered this before, because I know a lot of times when this comes up in conversation, people look at me like I'm absolutely crazy. Like what I am saying is so offensive and ridiculous. And that's simply because they've never had the conversation before. So if that's you, and if this is the first time you've ever heard anybody hint at the idea, what if heaven and hell are not how we thought they were? What if even hell maybe isn't even a real place? That's going to mess with your head a little bit because there's been so much that you were taught to the contrary. So I don't just want to leave us here because I feel like we just introduced the conversation. And again, especially if this is a concept that you've never considered before. So next week, what I'm going to do is we're going to take a one week break from our interviews and I'm going to share with you a little bit more about my journey as far as heaven and hell goes. I'll share with you how I got to the conclusions that I've gotten to. I'll share with you some resources for those of you who love to read out there. And I'm just going to do my best to help you along this journey. It's not my goal. Let me be very clear. It's not my goal for you to end up believing the same way I do. It wouldn't be Brian McLaren's goal for you to believe the same way that he does. It's just really important that we're having these conversations so that you, as a well-thinking, logical human being, can come to your own conclusions. Because I'm pretty confident that as it stands right now, many of us are coming to conclusions because other people told us that is just how it is. But as you heard from Brian, Jewish people didn't believe in the concept of hell. It's a more modern belief system that came into early Christianity. So it's not the thing that people have always believed and certainly isn't true that people have always believed it in the same way that the modern, specifically the evangelical church, but other traditions as well have believed in this idea of heaven and hell. So make sure you tune in again next week as we continue to dialogue about this. And then after that, we will jump into a conversation with a number of my new friends about the Bible. So hang in there. Continue to walk this journey out. It's worth it. There is freedom in the process. We're not trying to come to a complete understanding or a complete certainty. We're just trying to stand in wonder in the midst of our questions and in the midst of our doubts and in the middle of all of it still believe that God is good still believe that Jesus is real still believe that our faith matters and can make a difference in this world special thanks again to Brian McLaren so honored to have had him on this podcast both this week and in the last episode you can find out more about Brian what he's up to at his website which is brianmclaren.net mclaren is m c l a r e n and i of course will put a direct link to that in the show notes you can find all of his books on his website and i'm not going to tell you which one to read first because they're all phenomenal until next time keep walking <laughs>